Guys, this is Succession. This is HBO. If you don't want to hear me talking about Logan Roy, talking about then don't listen to this. There are bad language words in this show. Hello, and welcome to the Living Plus episode of Slate Money Succession. Oh boy, this is a big one. I am Felix Salmon of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck of Axios. Hello. I'm here with Elizabeth Spires of New York Times and other places. Hello. We are here with Slate Money's favorite guest, Ed Lee. It managed to get up early to do this show. Ed, welcome back and remind us who you are. Well, first of all, it's always happy, very, very happy to be with you guys all the time, even at the very, very early hours. Uh, I am Ed Lee of the New York Times. And yeah, we are going to live forever. How, um, how attractive does that feel to you, Ed? No, I, I love it, especially if the Roys are, are helping me get there. That's all I really want. Live forever under the, <laughs> under the auspices of the, uh, Roy Empire. With, with, if my life um, can be enhanced by character IP, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, okay, let's just get into this. I this whole concept is is glorious, and I love the way that they've tried to tie it into the takeover things. But the big picture concept here, which was apparently in the works even before, I don't know, that Logan and Matson started talking, is it seems to be a cross between Celebration, which is the Disney company-owned town in Florida, and some kind of insane um, uh, Adam Newman idea of, like, real estate as tech platform. It's basically taking, it's mashing up, you know, the traditional media sort of empire elements to, oh, tech, right? Let's get that tech multiple, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, there's that, there's, you know, one of the many, many really funny things, but I think was it Greg saying, you know, I think it's hard to make houses seem like tech. We've, we've had them for a while, <laughs> right? So... <laughs> It's just, it was so awesome because it was like, yes, like just on the face of it, that's the main problem. But like, sure, let's just say that, right? You can just make that happen. 
you think of tech as a younger a younger person's kind of game, and this is exactly. housing for people who are dying uh, or not dying, uh, not possibly dying. living being forever. Kept alive, <laughs> being transformed into turtles. Um, yeah, they. It, it is a glorious idea of of um, yeah, doing things like create housing for people who are living forever and or dying um, as a service. <laughs> You can see we've just doubled the numbers in Colorado. It's amazing. Because numbers aren't numbers. You know. They're just numbers. Uh, but, yeah, so tell me, how much of this, um, Elizabeth, how much of this do you think is is subtweeting Adam Newman and WeWork and whatever his new thing is, Flow, something like that? Yeah, oh, I think it's it's totally Newman, right? It's a, but I was thinking last week, you know, when uh, Matson was talking about sending uh, his, his girlfriend his bricks of blood, that there was some missed opportunity to sort of turn Matson into more of like a tech dude who's obsessed with uh, life extension and things like that. And so I was sort of gleeful this week whenever those themes kind of made it into the episode. Uh, so it, it feels like um, the writers were kind of looking around for techie things that they could, you know, crowbar in there for satirical purposes. So Living Plus seems like a, a nice mashup of those things. Definitely had like a Peter Thiel feel, right? With the the blood trans, you know, blood transfusion yeah. things that he was into, um, which then ties to Matson's whole, <laughs> just, you know, half a liter of blood every once in a while until it <laughs> stopped becoming a joke. And then it was a joke so- again, right? So. <laughs> So, so Ed, like in ter- so Matson makes a bit of a misstep in this episode because he is not some kind of Swedish Ubermensch, and he 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 makes an off-color Holocaust joke in the middle of the investor day, which he is then rapidly forced to delete. I know what he I'm doing, he tells Shiv, even though he clearly doesn't. Um, who who what's the um, who's the most reckless tweeter out there? I think we all know the answer to this one. Is the, it, oh, uh, is, he, is yeah. this like an Elon thing? This is an Elon thing for sure, right? I mean, yeah. this is. <laughs> I mean, this. What's great about this episode is that everyone comes off like failing in some way, right? Everyone screws up, does something super, super crazy, with maybe the exception of Kendall, bizarrely, right? Because he kind of comes off at the end like, oh, actually, it wasn't too bad. The investors kind of like it. Kind of worked. Though, kind of work right like even he didn't really know what he was doing half the time but like maybe but then you know Matson is going off with this crazy tweet this nazi tweet which he later deletes um which is not very elon like that's the one thing that like you're like okay so maybe he's no actually what it what it reminded me of and this is a little bit of a deep cut but do you remember when um mark andreessen tweeted something about how colonialism had been actually quite good for India and got an, an right. enormous amount of blowback for that and lost a bunch of deals and eventually had to walk it all back and apologize. And that was the point at which he just started souring on Twitter, on social, on like the media, because he blamed the media for like taking his tweet out of context or whatever, even though like they were just retweeting it. And, and, <laughs> That one was like, it wasn't quite a Holocaust joke. Although, you know, who did Holocaust joke during the pandemic was um, Alex Berenson on one of his anti-COVID um, tirades. Did a, did a, actually a, 
um, a Macht Frey joke on Twitter, which oh went down God. as well as you thought it would. Uh, so what I guess was Alex the first Harrison. word? Uh, can you break down oh, the tweet is, for Doderick me? Is the, yeah, what's is the, um, is the main sort of cartoon dog character owned by Waystar. So Doderick uh. is actually, if you remember, way back in season one when Greg is dressed up as a cartoon character, I think yes. the cartoon character he's dressed up as is Doderick. Right, yes. and he throws up inside the inside the <laughs> uniform of Dodrick. Dodrick sets you my free. Okay, far, now I understand. My how far Greg has come. He is now, like, shouting at underlings and getting them to do his bidding and trying to be a tough executive. He's actually turning into a full-blown Roy. You know, he's, he's being sarcastic to Roman and Ken, yelling at yeah, people. Yeah, he's, he's getting editors to, like, you know... Just do it. <laughs> Just make it happen. Like, don't. Yes. This whole episode is that. It's the Roy's just yelling at people, firing people, management by fear and terror um, everywhere. It was horrible. They were horrible. They were the CEO bros are just an absolute bros. mess. Didn't you think? Yeah, Roman's the CEO uh, bros. Insecurity about not being respected. It seems like he's sort of arbitrarily or on the fly firing people. And then right. he has to walk it back. Right. And he's like, well, I didn't really fire it. We well, well, just he, but the point yeah. is, I, it's not clear that he's walking it back, right? And he talks to Kendall above this and Ken, uh, Kendall about, like, firing people. And he's like, and Ken's, his first reaction is, like, you fired Shiv's godmother. And then eventually he's like, <laughs> you're just going around firing people. This is amazing. Like, we, we are disrupting. And the weird, and this is the great thing about Succession, right, is that because it's not, a morality play because it's not like a black and white thing because everybody is terrible. You know, Joy is terrible. Jerry is terrible. Like, you know, there are no sympathetic characters in this show. Um, there is, you know, there is a part of this show, which is like, well, the CE bros coming in, firing the dead wood, reinventing Waystar as a younger more daring, high-growth company. Like, conceptually, it could work. And, like, the stock market even almost kind of seems to be buying into it. And is it actually bad for Roman to have fired Joy and maybe even Sherry? Like, how much harm could that actually do? <laughs> Joy, well, Joy, there's definitely going to be... You could see like, worst Joy case terrible, there's right? But you could see worst case there's a lawsuit and Joy comes and says the story of like I wanted to talk about democratic institutions and ATN and got fired for it and that's like a bad news story for Yeah, know, and that's like a, a bad news story weeks. but like but but that's Kendall's great line from earlier, right? When he's like we're a royal superpower is that we have no shame. <laughs> yes. But lying about the numbers the way they did and dubbing like dubbing words, putting words into the dead Logan Roy's mouth for that video. Like if that gets out, that's bad. No, that oh, can't no, be good long-term for the stock yeah, that, price. That would be <laughs> not only like, it'd be SEC violations like times 10 for sure, right? Yeah. If that gets out. But even then, like there's that that awesome moment for Carl finally. He gets his backbone where he basically tells Kendall, <laughs> it's like, you know, I've got your dick in my hand. And like if you... <laughs> If you talk about, it, I will squeal, right? So, you know, it's it, it's the what happens when when the king dies, right? Like everyone is just really out for themselves, including the kids, right? And no one's really, really in charge. When things are starting to break down, 
And yes, you're right, Emily. Like there are a number of SEC violations happening in this in this episode, <laughs> right? Which like any one of them could just tank the business. Period. Right. Um, and I what I was struck by is the whole use of um, the dad is essentially a ghost throughout the entire episode. Yeah, it's right? very Hamlet, he's, right? He's Hamlet, right? It's dad coming back saying, please avenge me, right? And they're all fucking it up, right? They're all fucking it up <laughs> in some kind of weird way. Um, and, you know, it's very, I feel like that's very Jesse Armstrong. Like he has to stick in some highfalutin element here, which he does it in a really good way, in a really clever way. But I, I was really just thinking about, you know, scene one Hamlet, the entire time it's happening with with like yeah hugo and carolina as rosencrantz and Guildenstern. exactly right <laughs> exactly right so i know you know i know our listeners are probably like yeah whatever just get back to the show already that's what this is what jesse wants he wants you to think about this stuff right and what happens at the end of hamlet right like if it's there's any foreshadowing here it's like it's not gonna be good it's not gonna be good for the kids period well, what about Shiv? What did you guys think about Shiv this episode? I mean, Shiv really owned the last episode, but like she's sort of like the only one here who like is human in this episode, right? She's sort of kind of getting back well, with Tom. Tom is human. Kind of, Tom finally becomes even more human against like the, that, that pairing. Shiv does Shiv the Shiv Tom dynamic is super interesting in this episode and very complex. Shiv puts on like fucking body armor i need emily to weigh in on that suit jacket with like the the black sort of stripes down the back and around the back and like not on the front and then like wait elizabeth is fashion insight here yeah we have to so i i there's an instagram account called succession fashion that i'm now obsessed with because the oh, person wow. who runs it goes and finds like the individual pieces of clothing that they're wearing and you notice that there's some brand consistency for each character. So mm -hmm. uh, Shiv wears just a ton of Ralph Lauren. Like almost anything you see that's kind of a neutral or a navy, it's probably Ralph All Lauren. All her blazers. Yeah. Her, like, like, this was, this blazers. was a lot bolder than anything mm -hmm. she's worn yes. all season. I've, I was struck because the previous episodes of the season, Shiv's got her blazer and her turtlenecks on with the necklace over it. Always. Very... Conservative, right. and in this episode, it's all like it's a lot of cleavage, right? And like dipping neck. What do you call it? Neck. It's. I'm sorry. It's very early in the morning, listener. <laughs> but you could see a lot more of Shiv in this episode, and it felt like that was very deliberate. And um, and at first, I was thinking like she's getting back with Tom for nostalgic reasons, but then I realized no, this is a total power play. There's a there's a vacuum. Logan's gone. Tom had attached himself to Logan. Now Tom is this sort of like free range kind of Adam floating around and Shiv has now attached Tom to her, you know? So now they're allied kind of against the brothers. Yeah. So no? Shiv's a pinstripe suit is Max Mara, apparently. Oh. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, no, so she is like, she is more put together for the waste of, uh, investigate yes. than she was for her brother's uh, wedding. Sorry, I was about to yes. say funeral. And I'm kind of curious. I mean, she has not had time to, like, have any procedures done, but is this woman still pregnant or what? <laughs> it's only <laughs> been, like, pregnant. a couple of days, but she's, she's still, still pregnant. She's, she's, okay. she's still pregnant. She's spending her 20 minutes a day crying. It's, it's on right. her calendar. Right. She's got – she holds the glass of champagne, but she doesn't – we never see her drinking the glass of champagne. 
So. At some point, she has to tell Tom that she's pregnant. Like, this is the big, like, weird thing that is still between them that she hasn't told him and he doesn't know. Right. There's my, my favorite scene in this episode was the exchange between Shiv and Tom, where he says, he sort of admits, he says, you know, I've always really cared about money, and maybe that makes me shallow, but this is, you know, he's sort of being honest about it. And she starts, you can tell that she starts to sort of criticize him for being shallow. And he says, well, oh, well, if you love me, then you want to come live with me in the trailer park. And sort of points to her hypocrisy. And it was such a great little exchange. And you see them kind of understand each other in a different way. Yeah, that was like the most honest moment, right? Between the Mm -hmm. two of them and just sort of throughout this episode, which again, like those two in this episode sort of seem like the only ones that are sort of having any real enlightenment right any sort of Mm -hmm. like understanding about what like they're in on the joke a little bit right of what's happening around them right although it's interesting that if you looked at the um the reaction of hugo versus the reaction of siobhan to kendall's speech um siobhan is also ostensibly a communications professional right that's what she is when you know in season one and she's like working for senators and whatnot hugo understands that like as far as atn watching middle america is concerned this kind of transparent schmaltz that in dreams of living forever that kendall is serving up is actually going to play really well shiv with her suits of irony um, cannot see it and thinks it's a complete disaster, and and you know tells Ken, um, tells uh, Matson on the phone that it's you know that he's um, what's the word she used? She has a great line. Um, he's riding the bullshit unicycle. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but she's wrong, right? I mean, I mean, he is riding the bullshit unicycle, but on some level, it's working and. And Hugo recognizes it before anyone. Well, so um, she, but, but the, yeah, but but the Tom thing is uh, is so interesting, right? Is that basically Tom? If uh, correct me if I if I have overextrapolated here, but I think I've got it. Tom is basically saying in that speech that the reason he betrayed Siobhan to Logan was because of the prenup. That they had like a whole prenup thing and everything was compartmentalized and he didn't have her money and he didn't have any money really and he was just like reliant on her and and he felt insecure and what he's always wanted is money and the way that he could get money because he wasn't going to get it from his marriage was by you know, becoming chairman of ATN and making lots of money in corporate America and the way he would do that is by getting in with Logan and the way he would do that is by betraying you know, the kids to him. That was the, I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it totally made sense. He he chose what was good for him over over her because with, that's with what he prioritizes. Clear, with the clear implication that, like, if Siobhan hadn't sort of lawyered up and prenupped, then he wouldn't have betrayed her. Yeah, if, he, if she had given him more money, if she had made him more or, or um, made, secure if they had in his more, finances. More of a partnership, exactly. Yeah, more entwined, then he wouldn't have had to do this, right? Because he can go find a job with another company. Right. And that was the vibe from the from the beginning in the early in the early seasons, right? Where the two of them felt like they were allied, right? Like mm-hmm. her dad is crazy, the family is crazy, but like we have this thing, and let's 
let's do this together kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But then I think you're right, Felix. I think that's the deep read, right, on exactly what's happened here. Like the, the tragedy, right, of that relationship is she did it, right? He did it. Like they did it to each other. It's not like he just decided to betray her, become Nero, you know, in that scenario, right? Um, yeah. Like but he tried to marry her for money, but like she didn't <laughs> let him. So, right. you know, <laughs> he had to go she get it somewhere else. She tried to trailer park him, basically, with that freedom. Yeah. But when, but when they're put to the test, it turns out that Tom can bite harder than Shiv can. <laughs> Which makes sense because he wasn't born into and money, he's, so he's more desperate. And he's never even played bitey before. <laughs> I mean, what a rube. What a rube, right, exactly. <laughs> Who among us didn't grow up playing bitey with our siblings? I'm disturbed by them playing bitey in, in a public setting. Like, if anyone happened to look upon them, wouldn't that be odd? Uh, wouldn't that, this be this investor, page six investor story? Investor day, basically, yeah. yeah. The whole, <laughs> right? It's like... <laughs> you imagine an what? analyst at a bank saying, we have some concern. We saw two executives from Waystar biting each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shiv has an amazing office, though, out in what I guess it looks like Burbank overlooking the hills. Yeah. Well, they, it's that's the other thing, too. I think I'll, there might be some, like, Viewers might have some whiplash around the idea. Wait, where are they now? They're in L.A.? Like, they were in New York all this time, and then, like, London at one yeah, the, point. The location then... thing is is weird. This whole episode, as far as I can make out, takes place in L.A. with the single possible exception of Shiv refueling and Matson being there in his private jet, which make no sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, where exactly. the hell was that meant to be? <laughs> in the middle of the country, I thought? It's somewhere? like It's just like rich people, like, literally, like, you know, engaging each other in... In air, random airports. It's like, oh, it's like seeing you in traffic, right? It's just like, we're all just here. I also that was a great power on. move, by the way, at the beginning of the show when she won't get out of the plane, so he comes out of his plane in his bare feet. <laughs> that was, like, good and, on her. Oh, my God. And they're so, yeah, and Shiv, like, playing hard to get and being coy and, like, giving as good as she gets with Matson. Yeah. And that whole sort of highly sophisticated, you know, 0.01% flirting thing is awesome. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> Do We're they gonna, have a chance I, I, these two? I can imagine there's going to be more of that to come, for sure. Like it, more. It's very will they, won't they at this point, I yes. think. Yeah. <laughs> well, will they or won't they, Emily? They will. I they think. have to, right? Come on, right? We <laughs> to have this yeah. happen, right? They have to, Ed says. And he's they our favorite to. guest. Yes. Yeah, I, can't I, handle I, the I'm sexual tension they if they just build it up and leave it there. That's... Yeah, I don't. Would they do that? No, they would. They, they wouldn't do that. And I feel Tom would approve. He would be okay with it because it's a strategic move. So, you know, he would go with it because they're not technically back together, Tom and Shiv, right? By the end of the show, Shiv is telling him like, let's just be, let's just do strategy. Let's just be together for strategy, you know? Um, can, can we talk about those lines though, where, where Matson is like, we're buddies. Can we just talk? And Shiv replies, maybe I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like she like he is he is being like the you know trying to puff himself up as the man and being like very aggressive he's like keep me looped my girl on the inside and she's like fuck you my boy on the outside <laughs> it's very it's very roy speak right like she's he's yeah. learning roy speak he just doesn't know how to do that yet or doesn't understand what that is but he definitely comes across i think What's 
accurate about the show in terms of what he represents is that tech bros are not savvy ultimately, right? They have their savvy comes from the fact that they have more money than everybody else, right? But in terms of actual, like, you know, dealing with things, negotiating, sort of reading the room, like they're just not good at that, right? And so largely because they don't have to be, right? If you think about Elon Musk, like Twitter is a room. He doesn't know how to read it. So every day he's just sort of like pissing over everything. And it's like, what are you talking about? Free speech, right? Come on. Um, So I think Mattson is still, the jury's still out. Like, is he really smart or is he just a rich guy? Well, he's also, there's a certain kind of tech bro with that level of money who is just a weirdo because the the money has sort of turned them strange. So Matson, you know, running down the tarmac barefoot or sending people bricks of his blood like that. That all scans properly to me. The only thing that's sort of out of place is uh, that they cast Alexander Skarsgård as Matson. He's insanely good looking, which I think Shiv <laughs> acknowledges at some point. Uh, but the rest of it feels very tech bro to me. Wait, I, I kind of think he's smart. Maybe I'm just charmed by Alexander Skarsgård, but I think he's smart. He may or may not be smart, but I think he's better at Roy speak than we think. Um, hmm. I have this friend who lives in Sweden and helpfully translated for me the the like the Swedish jokes that they were making in front of... Um, Greg, when they found out that Greg was a cousin. Wow, you really did the homework, Felix. <laughs> My God, okay. I did What's the homework. Still, what were they, yeah, where, where were and, they? And they, said, and they said, have we ended up at an incestuous family reunion? And then they point to, <laughs> to, to Greg, who's obviously very tall, and says, two meters of pure nepotism, an inbred Habsburg <laughs> giant. <laughs> wow, that is awesome. <laughs> What a great one. <laughs> Even the Swedish lines Swedish are great Israel. lines. Exactly. Fact, those are probably the best lines, and they're, they're hidden from view for most of us. Wow. Good job unearthing that. No, no, then maybe he is smart. Maybe he is smart, right? Maybe he's sort of the unusual element here. He's, he's tech bro, but kind of not, in a way. Like, in service of the story, in service of the drama. It I mean, he's smart enough to know Living Plus is, is going to be bad. Like, there's no way this is, thing is a success. The stock price will go up, but you know what? It's going to come down, I, I tell you. <laughs> this is not going <laughs> to well, be I mean, a successful... Stock, so the weird thing about the stock price, right, is that um, ultimately the stock price is just being valued by merger ups right now. You know? Like... Mm-hmm. That the people who are buying the stock and the expectation that they will then be able, you know, the merger will go through and they'll get a certain amount of cash and a certain amount of Gojo stock. And that's where, you know, and that's where it's where it's trading and how it's trading. And so, yeah, there might be a little bit of a boost after Kendall's speech um, on the grounds that, hey, like this new combined company is going to have a lovely new revenue line in um, you know, basically sitting granny in front of the TV show her and t- t- sitting granny in front of the TV and showing her the entertainment from Infinite Jest or whatever the hell like this this dystopian vision is. But um, but it's still you know just going to be 
a sec one small segment of the Waystar half of the combined Waystar Gojo. Um, and that's how it's still being valued. And so um, Kendall's cunning plan to make Waystar so valuable by announcing Living Plus that Matson won't be able to afford it anymore. Yeah, that like, doesn't that doesn't that, that seems, doesn't track. That seems yeah. highly improbable. Because, as you said, the merger arbs are already priced in. Like we know this deal is like going to happen. This is where we think that that's going to happen. That's this kind of play that Kendall's trying to do is the thing you do before any actual negotiations, right? Before any, you know, you need to puff up the stock as much as possible so that they're forced to get even higher premium, right? But that, that that part's already been settled, so that doesn't really track. The other thing, too, again, more SEC violations. Just to be clear to to, to the listeners, the fact that Matson is calling Shiv and saying, "Hey, can you stop this?" Right? You can't do that, right? You absolutely <laughs> cannot do that. Period. Like, you can't even back channel that kind of stuff. So, on his end, that's that's a screw up too. So there's there's all kinds of landmines in this episode in terms of everything that just. Any one of these things could end up tanking the deal, put it that way. So that's more potential foreshadowing. I don't know how closely the writers or show are really following the rules around how these things happen. But if they are, any one of these elements could tank the deal. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced. I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people camp here, ransack my computer. And I, I got people fractured me. I got this and that, but I'm safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the Slow Newscast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I have two, like, industry... Uh, questions for you, Ed. The 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 first one, the first one is like Waystar Royco. Obviously, their headquarters are in downtown Manhattan. In you know, a building played by the Chase Manhattan or Twenty Eight Liberty or whatever we're calling it. 
Um, their investor day is in LA. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that that's not unusual, right? Because in fact, I think they're lifting that directly from how Murdoch has done it with News Corp for many years, right? They've often held their okay. investor day at their studio lots in 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 LA because they want to wow, you know, the investors. They want to wow the analysts. It's like, look, you know, let's we're going to wine and dine you, and maybe have some celebrities roaming around for you to to ogle. And it's so to do that in LA, yeah, yes. So that's that's almost where. It, yeah. Question two: When Jerry turns to Roman and says, "You cannot win against the money. The money is going to wash you away." Is that like? how it works is that just a, a standard truth of capitalism or is she overstating things there no i think that's very true because if you again if you want to take a real life analog the murdoch kids right they each they each netted two billion dollars out of that disney deal right when wow. they sold so it's like how do you walk away from billions of dollars i don't i don't know what the math is in in for waystar but you know it's going to be something along those lines where basically all the kids get to just truly be independent. That was the point of ultimately that deal, right? That they could, at least from the kids' point of view, is that they could finally be free of their dad. You know, money solves all kind of a thing, which is what Tom has been basically telling Shiv in this episode. So that the the boys, the the co the the, the CEO bros are thinking about. No, we could still run this and own it and do what dad wanted, like. Why? What? What's the point? Are they still trying to prove themselves to their dead dad? Again, Hamlet. Yeah, of course they. Are. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Third, third question. To- since I since I have you, <laughs> um, just just realized I had another one. Um, if you listen carefully to the background it, while Kendall is warming up for his speech, there's a disembodied blonde woman on stage talking about how ATN is going to crush the ratings during the election. Um, She says that in the last election, the total number of viewers for the election was 71.4 million and that half of them were on ATN and they're going to do like better this year, Um, which seems like ATN is a much bigger cultural force than even Fox. Yeah, no one one watches. That's huge. yeah, no show, no event has 35 million viewers. Not even, you know, well, I mean, Super Bowl, yes, but not right. Not convention. Not, not an election. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then the, and then we find out later, or at least I found out. Maybe we knew this before that Tom, Tom's official title is chairman of ATN. Um, and so, like, let's assume that. Um, ATN is is you know bigger than Fox, like which is definitely the sort of impression that we're getting from those numbers. Um, let's assume that Tom is, as he explains, very motivated by money and making his own money and having the nice watches. Um, how much does the chairman of ATN get paid? Like, how much does Tom actually have his own money at this point? No, that's actually a very good question. I mean. In theory, right, like he's supposed to be like inhabiting the Roger Ailes position, even though he's certainly not that, right? Um, I mean, that's an eight-figure contract, right? So, you know, he's make you know, in theory, he's getting $10 million a year in some, in some form, in some fashion um, with bonuses, including bonuses. So, yeah, that's, I think, again, I think going back to what Elizabeth was saying earlier about like how 
he, well, you had the prenup, so I had to attach myself to, to your dad, get that position, get align myself with him so that I could get that status, right? right. So in theory, so, so right. So Logan, yeah. Logan gave him like a $10 million a year job, basically, yeah. which yeah. puts in, which puts into nice context, that whole scene from, you know, a season or two ago where Greg was saying like, my uncle Ewan will give me $5 million. And, and, and Tom just sneers like $5 million is you're, you're the poorest rich man, the, sh- the tallest dwarf, well, so that, you know, uh, and, and he's, yeah. And he's like, yeah, $5 million in wealth gets you nothing, you know, $10 million in income. Now you're actually beginning to feel rich. Yeah. You can buy a few watches with that and, you know, yeah. Probably some stock there too. Buy some stock. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I thought Jerry was saying something bigger, which was just like the tech industry is going to crush this company, going to crush ATN. Like there's no stopping Yeah, she it. was saying that too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, and that's what you see in the real world too. Like a company like Fox is kind of just puttering along until its viewers die. No? Well, you know, Madsen has that line in the previous episode where he says something like, uh, you know, I don't think this is a good business model, uh, you know, just selling to old people who, you know, he, he sort of points out the, the business flaw of Fox slash ATN immediately. And then they come back to it in this episode because it's like, well, what? how would you further monetize an aging population like that? And so... Uh, you know, the plan now is essentially assisted living with some possibility of life extension therapies. <laughs> keep the consumer alive somehow. Yes. Well, <laughs> so and, you can and keep that's, monetizing them. And These I think are not that, the growth exactly right. areas. Right. <laughs> the growth area is not old people. No company is like, we serve old people and we're doing great. Like, that's not what you want. Yeah, yeah. But Emily, how about I told you it was all going to last forever? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, forget it. Oh, can, can we just can, can we just call out can we just call out the Steve Jobs the the actual like Kendall Roy rather than like the writers doing a deliberate Steve Jobs thing? Because one more thing, how about <laughs> I told you <laughs> it well, was all going to last forever? And that's and that's the thing is that like this that's exactly the sort of the established you know sort of creaky old media enterprise trying to be tech. And mm-hmm. sort of the biggest, not the biggest, but one of the really great commentaries in this episode is the living plus. The plus is the tech part. Yeah. Of it. Let's just put a plus <laughs> on this and it'll be like streaming or it'll be like, whatever, you know. And, and, yeah, can you plus, explain this? Why like... <laughs> Why does everything, like what, what was with the convention that every single streaming platform had to have a plus on it at some point? Yeah, there was like Paramount Plus, CNN Plus. Um, well, so like, where did that come from? So Disney actually, Disney, plus, yeah. Disney created the plus. They they pioneered <laughs> the plus, right? Disney created the plus, <laughs> right? And so everyone it else, been Disney as, asterisk, could right? just you know, like. <laughs> it's really what it is. And like, it's not a great. It's not. I'm sorry. That's just not a great invention in, by by any kind of marketing standard. It just doesn't. Whatever, right? And you're just thinking, okay, fine, whatever. But then everyone else decides, oh, that's actually smart. Let's put a plus on ours as well. So it's just <laughs> well, lack it's of like, imagination it's like for everyone else. The eye, right? 
Apple decides yeah. they're going to put the i prefix on everything. It's going to be an iPhone and an iMac, and and then like, but then that becomes an Apple branding, and then Disney decides to invent the Plus. But apparently, the Plus is more fungible than the i because everyone else can copy in the Plus, <laughs> exactly. but no one else copies the i. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that, I think that was an error on Iger's part. It's like they didn't they didn't copyright the plus element of the Disney Plus, so that <laughs> it could have prevented. <laughs> wow, then HBO Max is a real innovator because they went with Max instead of well, Plus. Well, now it's just Max. They, they, they yeah. dropped the HBO from HBO Max, and so now it's just Max, which is they're like the originals. A, they really did it. A guy's a guy's name, just calling it Max. <laughs> they, Hi, Max. How are you doing? <laughs> They finally got in on their own joke, I guess, which so I'm going to give you a little thing about, you know, a bit of reality on this. I actually was able to go to the succession last season premiere here in New York and got to talk to Casey Bloys and whatever. And um, it was one of those really sort of you kind of got the sense, you know, HBO does these really fantastic or traditionally has done these really fantastic um, parties for their shows. It's, they're legendary within within the industry. And this, the last show, last season, it's going to be the last party for succession from HBO. And it really felt like it, right? You can sort of Aww. sense, it was joyous, of course, it's still a, a party, but you could sense in the room, it's like, yep, this is it. After this, there's nothing else, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I actually asked Casey Boys, I was like, wait a minute, so when Jesse told you this is the last season, like, did you accept it didn't you just tell him no you you need to do more seasons he's like no no it was totally his call and i i respected it and but i did say to him like you have to be sure you can't come back and do this again right and i said why did you say that he's like well i just wanted to sort of nudge him to make sure this was really going to be it and he's like no this is it nothing else dang yeah. wait who's casey Bloist for people who don't know like me he is the head of hbo right he is i'm trying to think who he would be he in the, the royal empire he is the new um. Richard Plepler, right? And uh, from my, by my estimation, a really smart, capable executive. Um, he's not like a, a big, big personality like Plepler, but you don't necessarily need to be, certainly. Um, he's, he's very much an adult in that sense. You know, not to say that Richard wasn't. But. Talk, talking about entertainment executives, like the head of Waystar Studios, Joy, she seems like extremely bad at the Hollywood schmoozing game for someone who has climbed her way up the greasy pole to the very, very top. Yeah. The, the, the short glimpse we get right of who she is. Um, I think I mean, you really can't really blame Roman for wanting to fire her after she doesn't listen to him, doesn't answer his questions, just tries to berate him for ATN and he's not having any of it. Well, she has her own power, right? Like she's a studio head. So that's like, you know, that's no small, no small thing. I think he just, you know, he's an open nerve ending. He's just like lashed out, right? I'm going to fire you. And um, had it been done in the Logan Roy way, it would not have done, been done like that. He would just sort of walked away, yeah, yeah. had the lawyers call. Yeah. And, and, like, and then yeah, exactly. had the lawyers. Exactly. He okay. like Logan didn't fire people to their face. He just got, you know, Roman to give them the heads up that they were <laughs> right, out to get exactly. fired. Right. Right. That's like Trump. Trump never fired anyone. He told, you know, someone else to fire them or tweeted about it. He just pretend fired people at NBC. That's a... <laughs> right. Never in real life. Never in real life. Never in real life. Yeah, exactly. What, what's that? What's that Roman? Oh, yeah, that's the Roman line. 
I didn't fire her, okay? I said that she was fired to her. That's all. <laughs> uh, well, that clears it up. But then he fired Jerry. And then, he, and then she was still there sitting next to Carl and Frank. Like, this is the second time he's fired Jerry and she's totally ignored it. <laughs> I didn't catch that. So she... She just kept going, just whatever. She just kept on going. She was like, you know, she was watching Kendall from the from the god from the wings and like whispering oh, to Frank, saying like, "Oh my god, this is terrible! Wake me up when it's over." So explain to me how Carl, by the end, is okay with the lying and the dubbing and the SEC violations, and is cheering Kendall on at the end because of this episode. Because he's spineless. Because he's oh Carl. My god. So we just briefly showed a little backbone only to cower away, scramble away back well, to... again, we don't really know. Ex- I mean, aside from the doubling revenue dub in, you know... Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. know what numbers they finally... Yeah, we don't know what they really released, right? Because they're they're talking all kinds of ways to, like, make it happen. And you see, I forget, I don't know who the character's name is, but, like, you see that poor guy, like, yeah, we can, we can, we can sell that. We can, we can... We can make the argument, you know, so like, can make the argument for everything. That's also a great line from Ken. What does that do to Kaga? Does it make it bigger, Pete? (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard. I've never heard C-A-G-R like said as a word before. Have you heard that, Ed? I've heard that. Yeah, we say Kager. You say it? Yeah, we say Kager. Kager? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like EBITDA, right? Like that's a bizarre word, right? That, you know, we just throw around, especially in the media business. So yeah, Kaga for for those of us who aren't deeply immersed in in finance is compound annual growth rate. So <laughs> clearly, which also like which by the way, um, when um, when Matson says this doesn't scale as a business. This is what he's referring to, and this is why Kager is a terrible metric for building houses and retirement communities, is because, the, you know, if you have 10 houses and then you double it to have 20 houses, right, you've, then you've built 10 houses and you, it's taken a certain amount of effort to build those 10 houses. And then... Let's say you double it again to make 40 houses. You've built 20 more houses, and that's twice as more effort to build 20 houses as it is to build 10 houses. It's not like you can just keep on doubling it. It's not like I doubled it in the last month, so I can double it in the next month, and I can double it in the next month, because because it's not like software. It doesn't scale at zero marginal cost. You're the marginal not- cost is enormous. And so, and so talk, talking about growth of building houses... In it with the frame of Kager is just it it it's literally batshit. But that's part of what makes it funny. That's because Ken's sort of bullshitty strategy is always something, you know, insanely obvious. Like he says uh, when he's he's sort of coming up with the living plus pitch. He says, you know, well, we just need unbelievable growth. And and Greg is the voice of reason here. He says. Yeah. Oh, so all we need is unbelievable growth? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? But that but Ken Ken realizes it, right? Like he he has that that line where he's like it almost it's almost enough to make you lose your faith in capitalism, right? Where like you all anything, you need to do right? is invent is is say the highest number to use Logan's term, and then hey, the the stock goes up. The reason that I think there are 
two reasons people don't do that. Um, and one reason people do. The first reason is that many stock market investors have half a brain cell and they'll realize that just because you've said a high number doesn't mean you're going to reach it and they're not just going to believe you when you come out with a crazy projection. The second reason is that it's a sugar high, right? You can say a high number and people will believe you for a minute and then when you don't achieve those projections, then your stock tanks. And, you know, what's the point of making a stock go up if it's just going to turn around and go back down? In this case, you know, the point is to prevent Matson from buying the company. So you can kind of see the tactic there. True, but, but like, go what ahead. we, you know, what we did see, what we did see during like the dot com bubble in like nineteen ninety nine, um, and even to a certain extent during the IPO boom of twenty twenty one, was a whole bunch of companies, you know, the SPAC boom, a whole bunch of companies coming out with insane projections that no one really believed to justify this ten dollar ten dollar a share share price, and everyone kind of going, okay. And, you know, and the stock went up until it didn't, right? And so that's like mm -hmm. something like Rivian, you know? It was $300 a share because it had these incredible projections. And now it's like $10 a share because it didn't achieve them. Well, Tesla is still riding that, that sort of, that bubble idea. Um, but the, uh, the thing I want to point out is that so much about what Kendall and Roman are doing, just it just feels so off in this episode. Like you, throughout the entire series, you're not entirely sure if they actually know what they're doing in terms of business. Like it, they've never really been given the chance one way or the other. Finally, they're given the chance. I'm just like, wow, these guys are terrible at business. Like they just really yes. don't know how to do it. And you're yes. like, it's either that or they're so screwed up by their dad's death that like, oh, they, they don't know where their head's at. But I, I think yeah. it's just they're really terrible at it. The idea of inflate, trying to inflate the stock by puffing up the numbers. I mean, when you talk to analysts, this is the way public companies work, is that they always undersell their pitch to analysts. That way, when analysts right. come out with their predictions, their predictions are actually a little below what it actually could or should be based on what the company's thinking. They're gaming it so that Wall Street expects this number. They actually printed this higher number, and now the stock goes up, Right. You always have to lower the expectations with analysts so that they're always going to undersell. They're always going to undersell their their estimate. Analysts know that's happening, so they try to game it. And there's, but then the company knows analysts know that they're doing that, so that it becomes like this really weird sort of game theory thing. But just to go out there and say like doubling profits, like that's insane. No one, even if you think that could happen. You don't do that, right? You you don't you say everything but unless, that. Unless all you unless all you want is that brief sugar high boost to prevent Matson from buying the company. Which again if you're not playing the long game, if you're just playing the short game, then you can kind of see the the tactics. But then they're they're gonna be left with like a pile of dew. Like what are they doing? They're they're sure they're puffing up the value temporarily. Yeah, an eighty billion dollar pile away. of dew. So then Matson goes away, their stock price tanks. They're terrible CEOs. They're going to just drive the company into the ground in that scenario. Well, I, like, I think that's what Kendall's was like, I want the price to be so high that he walks away from the deal, right? Right. Which, but once right. he does, it, like, they're going to be wrecked. Like they don't, it's not in the best interest of the shareholder for that to happen. No, that's exactly <laughs> that's right. That's a really yeah, well, bad yeah, idea. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say that like, <laughs> All, all CEOs are fiduciaries. They have fiduciary responsibility yes. to their external shareholders. And as fiduciaries, Roman and Kendall are pretty much the worst fiduciaries that have ever existed on the <laughs> S&P 500. Yes. Um, 
let's let's have some favorite lines. Elizabeth, what's your favorite line? Uh, I always love it when Kendall uh, speaks in business psychobabble and really fast. So oh, I, yeah. but mine was uh, at the beginning when he's talking about the longevity pitch. And he goes, give me the double click on longevity so I can see everything. Infinite brain box. <laughs> so now I just have infinite brain box circulating in my infinite head. Infinite brain box. Infinite totally. Brain box. Yes. Emily? Um, first, I want to say there were not a ton of good. Without Logan on this show, the, the, the barbs, the barbs aren't where they were. Let's just admit it. Let's be open about it. Let's get it out there. Well, I mean, Roman Roman tells the tells Jerry that she's quote using the f word freely. It feels disrespectful. Right. That's good. <laughs> Only but Dad gets was, to use that up, word with me. <laughs> which is which is up there with um, with Kendall trying to persuade the board not to do the deal because Matson apparently uses drugs. Says Kendall Roy. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but I liked I liked Shiv telling Tom, I'm sure you're keen to get amongst it. And he says, it? And she says, the vaginas of the cheerful women who aren't tall enough to be models. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I God. Like I was that. trying to hear what she said, and I couldn't make it out. That's such a good line. <laughs> I missed that line, too. That's actually really good. <laughs> That's a good amongst line. Amongst it. Uh, Ed? There are so many. I mean, I think it's it's these little moments, right? Like, uh, this is, I think this is a shift line with Tom. You didn't have a taste of the dark meat before me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. They have a fight to see who was worse to each other. Right. Which I think, you know, precedes the you want to play bitey. (laughs) Right. It's like, you could, like, they're, they're, this is sort of a new because that relationship, the, the their banter is like at a new level now, right? We hadn't seen quite that thing before. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, Tom's like, I think I got my chisel in you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, he did. Wow. He did get his chisel he in did. her. He did get his chisel in her. Good on him. Um, <laughs> I I can't stop thinking. I really love Jerry's line where she says, "You are a weak monarch in a dangerous interregnum." <laughs> that was that was like well done Jerry like we we love that um honestly i think my favorite bit of the <laughs> my favorite line could possibly have been just shiv saying don't criticize my jet interior <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, I mean, like, it, I, I feel like don't criticize my jet in, interior is definitely like 0.001% foreplay right there. You know? He calls it dated. Doesn't he say it's dated in there? He says that the it's de- dated. The decorations. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, let's um, try and predict on the will it or won't it happen on the on the takeover. I mean... Dramatically speaking, it has to not happen, right? It has to. We not still happen. haven't really seen the election happen, although we've got a little bit of talk between Shiv and Tom about like Tom is like, should we, should I host the election night party that Logan was going to host? And so presumably the election night party is going to be a big episode right there. The election is definitely going to be a huge turning point, plot point, something. They're 
that they've been hinting at it all along. And um, I don't know. It's very, is there going to be like a riot or something? Like a January 6th situation? What's going to happen? I don't know. Something political. Do you, th- do you think ATN is going to like call for, call the race for Minkin's opponent a bit like Fox did in <laughs> 2020? Possibly. And Minkin's going to get on the phone with Shane and be like, you need to fix yeah, this. T- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Minkin's going to be on the phone to Tom saying like, take that call back. And Tom's going to be on the phone to Sid saying, take that call back. And yeah, I doubt it. I'll be a bit close to reality. I think if the deal falls through, so, so does the whole company, like something they're left with nothing somehow. Right. No, that's too strong. They're not going to be left with nothing because they're not going to, no, they're, no, rich. I mean, like, they're going to be rich. This forever. is, this is, yeah, exactly. Once you've reached this level of rich, you you always have, you're always rich. So what, um, what next? What next? We will find out on episode seven of Slate Money Succession. Well, we'll find out on episode seven of Succession. And then episode seven of Slate Money Succession will be back in a week on Monday. But first, we will be back with the regular Slate Money on Saturday. Thanks for emailing us, sleepmoneyatslate.com. Many thanks to Patrick Fort for producing and to Ed Lee for waking up early to do this. Thank you, Ed. Anytime. And yeah, we'll see you back next week. 